Looks like we have a level four, Sam. How many dead? Don't know. There aren't any numbers yet. What do you think it is? Too early to say. The World Health Organization is preparing a team, but I won't do that first. Okay, let me get my crew together. I'll get back to you. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Outbreak. Mark this day, Salt. We could spend our whole careers waiting to see a new virus. But it kills in two or three days. The mortality rate is 100%. Part of the Now Playing Viral Outbreak movie review series. Men wounded in battle we can deal with, but this strange disease. 30 men dead yesterday. <laughs> 18 the day before. Hosted by Jacob. I'm fully trained and highly motivated. Stuart. And he's under direct orders not to die out there. And that's one set of orders he's actually planning on following. And Arnie. This is the scariest son of a bitch I've ever seen. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Get in, get out. I really don't want to lose you to some bug in the field. Listener discretion is advised. I suggest you go home and get packed. I'll do whatever you have to do, Colonel, and I suggest you do it now. Today we're discussing Outbreak, starring Dustin Hoffman, Renee Russo, Morgan Freeman, with Donald Sutherland, and Kevin Spacey, directed by Wolfgang Peterson. This is the Now Playing Podcast co-host who just got sprung from isolation and is now the single biggest threat to man's continued dominance on the planet, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the host whose only option is idiocy, Jacob. New decade, new viral threat. It's the 1990s, so what are we worried about? We're still worried about AIDS. It was still a big deal until about 96 when we started making headway on ways of making it not such a death sentence, but Ebola was definitely the the new kid on the block that scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I remember thinking that just makes you bleed everywhere and... Liquefies you. Your your organs actually turn into puddles before you're dead. You can actually experience everything but your skeleton melting inside you. Yeah, I remember them calling this the flesh-eating disease. Like, it, it was so scary. Yeah, it, it sounds like it was cooked up by horror people, you know, like Resident Evil, but it was real. And it was really publicized in this book that I read, The Hot Zone, and just reread for this review. But that came out in 1994. To be technical, the actual outbreak on American soil of Ebola happened in November, December 1989. So I'm cheating a little by calling this a 90s plague. But the story of it was popularized throughout the 90s. And again, it it gave Hollywood, I think, a new perspective on viral outbreaks. And people wanted to know more about it. It became more of a subject people were reading about, watching, and wanting to know. But here's what happened. Essentially, there was these monkeys that were mailed from the Philippines to this lab 20 miles outside of Washington, D.C. And they were infected with Ebola. But good news, there are different strains of Ebola. If it were Ebola Zaire, we may not be alive right now. Like if that had gotten out, that has a 90% fatality rate. And it got out. People like didn't know the monkeys had it. They ended up taking blood samples. And like there's these horror stories of like technicians sniffing it, not realizing what it is. And like it could have really exploded. But this Ebola, the strain ended up being very fatal for the monkeys 
but not for humans. The only reason why we're not all melting right now is because what got out was easy to contain. It did not cause the same reaction inside human beings. But what scared people was we got these monkeys from the Philippines and the first outbreaks of Ebola were in Africa. How did it get there? How did it make that jump? What, what's going on in monkeys that Asia to Africa, suddenly we have the same kind of disease breaking out? And there's a theory. It's a, it scared the shit out of me. But when I reread the hot zone, what they suggest is the reason why we've had all these super scary new diseases is because we were trying to stop the old diseases. You know, in the 1960s, we're trying to fix polio. We're trying to fix measles, smallpox, we need lab test animals. And so what happened was there was this call to to get as many monkeys as you can. They put them in close proximity in cages. And apparently what happened is all these monkeys, they, they never would have met. You know, it was like a big congregation of like, hey, where are you from? I'm from upper Africa. You're from lower Africa. Let's swap diseases. And so HIV, Ebola, all of that stuff may have been something that jumped from these monkeys. And what happened, the monkeys would get sick and they wouldn't get shipped to the labs. They just re-released them into the wild. And so we're not sure. There's no way to know exactly what happened. But because so many lab animals were swapping bugs and then going back into the wild, suddenly it made the jump into jungle animals. Suddenly it was going into bats and eventually it was going into people. The first outbreak of Ebola is... 76 in Zaire, and then in Sudan in 79, and then end of 1989, it makes it to America. And of course, we've had 16 other outbreaks since then. I mean, it's continued to be, and people say eventually there will be a big one, uh, one that will be much harder to contain. It would be very serious if it did, because again, Ebola Zaire is 90% mortality rate, COVID-19, that's only 4%. So just think about those numbers and shit yourself. I mean, that's horrifying. And you said you've a couple times you've read this book, The Hot Zone. That's what this movie's based on, right? So is the book fiction or nonfiction? Well, I actually think this is like deep impact to an unmade Armageddon or, you know. Uh, the book is deep impact and the, the movie's Armageddon. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, I'm saying The Hot Zone was the book that everyone wanted to make. And it was eventually made in 2019 as a TV miniseries. But this movie should have been called Crisis in the Hot Zone. Here's the thing. It's not scary if you tell the story of a virus that breaks out and only hurts monkeys, right? Like, you want to take elements of what's in the book, but then you want to tweak them, make it extra exciting, you know, gives the audiences something to get their heart racing. Bombs and helicopter chases. <laughs> yeah, so I think they were always going to alter things, and I think that might have been the problem, is they had a script. Ridley Scott really was going to make this. I was super excited. I remember they were talking about Jodie Foster, post-Silence of the Lambs, had signed on. Robert Redford, post-Sneakers, wanted to do it. And it seemed like a good project. And then, I don't know, everyone kind of walked away. And I guess it was script problems. But in the meantime, there was the studios trying to make the other version. You know, like the, the volcano to Dante's Peak was in the works. There's not a winner in that choice. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I, I keep naming these movies, but I don't know <laughs> what the good one is and the bad one. But the point is, the movie that everyone wanted to see made never did. 
And instead, the ripoff came to screen first and remains really one of the few outbreak movies of the 1990s. It was a short-lived trend. They did make a movie called Virus. It's not really about viruses with Jamie Lee Curtis. There's another 90s movie called Virus that is about viruses, but it's low budget and not a huge film. But I saw the Jamie Lee Curtis one. Yeah, that, what it is is there's like a, a race of, of robot aliens. They look at a submarine and think it's sick because all these people are inside. So they try to eradicate the people and that'll make the, the, the sub good. Yeah, yeah. I saw it in theaters. It's really nuts. It's terrible. There was also a show very briefly. I don't know if you remember The Burning Zone. It was on UPN. It was right after like Homeboys in Outer Space. <laughs> Nothing good could be on UPN. I, <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't. It was like a, a X-Files ripoff. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is like the Mulder who like as a child got Ebola, but used shaman magic to heal himself. And then there was like the hard geneticist scientist that was like, oh, you're full of bullshit. And they would run around the globe trying to like stop outbreaks every week. Like there, But there'd be weird outbreaks. Like there was spontaneous combustion. All these kids were like exploding and they'd have to figure <laughs> out why. <laughs> For some reason, it is never like it's no no streaming platform it's nowhere but i always laughed at the commercials i never actually watched the show but i always greatly enjoy those next time on the burning zone ads so my point is there really wasn't a lot to pick from you go to battle with the virus movie you have and it's outbreak a movie that i don't ever remember liking Hey, this is the one I've seen in this retrospective. I saw this one in theaters. I went with my dad. I don't know where the rest of the family was, but my dad's like, you want to go see a movie? And this was the new movie. So yeah, we went and saw Outbreak and yep, that's a movie. I also saw this in theaters after Rain Man. I became a major Dustin Hoffman fan and saw every film he did in theaters that I knew he was in. I mean, looking at his oeuvre, it turns out there were a couple I didn't hear about, like American Buffalo, but I saw everything else. Hook, Hero, Outbreak, Wag the Dog, Mad City. It ended with Sphere. (laughs) (laughs) As it should, quite frankly. Michael Crichton, maybe at his worst? I don't know. I still love Looker. One day we got to do Looker, guys. That's like my favorite bad movie. Michael Crichton wrote it, directed it too. But okay, so I wanted to see it. I remember trying to drag people. I was in film school and it was a mixture of like, we're really busy shooting projects. And two, everyone was like, meh, that doesn't look good. And it didn't look good, but I, you know, sometimes it's not about it being a good movie. I just, I like the subject matter. I wanted to see a movie about viruses. It had been a long time. But I eventually rented it, and yeah, memory was that it was just highly disappointed. Nothing like the Hot Zone nonfiction novel at all. My memory coming back to this was incredibly compromised, because truthfully, I had a mixture of movies in my brain, and it turns out I didn't know which parts were Congo, (laughs) which parts were Sphere, and which parts were this movie. (laughs) Yeah, the talking ape is Congo. Movie bad, movie bad. Lucy, <laughs> I, the talking sign language ape is, yeah, Congo. Another one, another Michael Crichton low low light. We should have done a <laughs> retrospective. There's some laughs in there. <laughs> yeah, my only memories was Cuba Gooden Jr. trying to hunt a monkey with a gun and a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't remember that. And it turns out I remembered very little about this. I haven't seen it since theaters. 
And so watching it this time, my wife is like, oh, yeah, and this is this is this. I'm like, you remember the movie? Oh, where's the monkey? I'm like, I, she must have seen him far more recently than I have because <laughs> I remembered nothing. Yeah, I, most of America has seen this recently. This is this and Contagion have been the two big viral films that everyone went to when everything started happening. This movie cost, I think, of 50 million and in America grossed 70 million. Not a huge profit margin there, but did pretty well internationally. And I think its reputation has built in the era of coronavirus. I do think that now people are maybe not willing to go back decades and decades to see older films. And so this and Contagion are the ones that they know about. And so for better or for worse, this is what they're using to inform modern day pandemic. And so I guess we got to do it. Arnie, give them the plot. We'll get into Outbreak. Dustin Hoffman plays U.S. military virologist Colonel Sam Daniels. His team is dispatched to Zaire, where he discovers a new virus with 100% mortality. He tries to convince his commanding officer, General Billy Ford, played by Morgan Freeman, to put out an alert about this disease, but Ford staunchly refuses. Ford thinks the disease, which they call Mataba, Hakuna Mataba? <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of worries, though, you know? That's what that means. Ford thinks Mataba is completely contained in Zaire, and the disease isn't airborne, so not highly contagious. But a monkey is smuggled from Africa to Cedar Creek, California, and infects a pet store owner. We all remember that craze, right? That was as big as the Tamagotchi. Hey, I've been watching Tiger King. I know this is a real thing. Hey, that <laughs> monkey probably did start a craze because it's the monkey from Friends. Oh, is it really? Mar Maurice? Yeah. Well, I didn't know. He's the biggest star in the film. Uh, Dustin Hoffman has some gold statues that would argue that. Well, you know what? I think his star was fading by this point. But keep on, please. Anyway, a monkey went to a pet store in Cedar Creek, and the disease mutated and became airborne, spreading through the town. That disease gets the attention of Sam, as well as his ex-wife, Dr. Roberta Q, a CDC virologist played by Rene Russo. You know, that's very competitive when those CDC virologists and those military virologists get together. <laughs> I'm sure Stuart's dad has some stories. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do, but I'm not going to share them. Roberta starts investigating, but Sam is stopped from participating by General Ford. Against orders, Sam goes to California and takes lead on the investigation. The military quarantines the town, shooting anyone who tries to leave. General Ford provides Sam with an experimental antiviral serum that cures the original disease, but not the mutated form. It turns out Ford had seen Mataba before, in Zaire, in 1967. Ford and his superior officer, Major General Donnie McClintock, played by Donald Sutherland, firebombed the village, killing everyone there, infected or not, to stop the disease. And they kept that secret for three decades. And McClintock plans to repeat that procedure. He and a group of scientists have convinced the U.S. president that for the sake of all American lives, they should drop a bomb in California to kill everyone and stop the disease. Sam continues to track down the monkey with the disease, but afraid of their 1967 acts being exposed, General McClintock orders Sam to be captured or killed. More, Roberta accidentally stabbed herself with an infected hypodermic needle and will die within 24 hours. While dodging the military, Sam finds the original monkey and creates an anti-serum, but he may arrive too late as the town's about to be bombed. Sam pleads over the radio with the bomber pilots to abort, and they eventually see the light and refuse McClintock's orders, dropping the bomb over the ocean instead. 
Billy decides to come clean and has McClintock arrested while Sam takes the anti-serum to Roberta, saving her life and proving there's a cure for Mataba as credits roll. Whew, a lot of names in there. Sam, Billy. Yeah, I don't even think you got into Salt or Casey. I didn't. I mean, this is a plot summary, and that is the plot, is disease, and then the military tries to shoot the person with the cure. That is the plot. Yeah, that's always the thing. We talked about it from Panic in the Streets onward. How do you humanize the threat of a virus? When you can't really see it, how do you have action scenes? How do you make that scary? And so the choice here is we're going to make it the problem of the military. We start with a 1967 prologue in Zaire, which, as far as I know, was not a front of the Vietnam War. I do not know why American soldiers are here battling, but they're also dying of a strange place. Plague, and McClintock and Ford are going to do something drastic. And we don't see them because we are getting the voices here of Donald Sutherland and I guess Morgan Freeman. I recognize Sutherland and Morgan Freeman has a very distinctive voice, but I didn't catch him as Billy, but he's doing the voice there. Yes, they name them Ford, McClintock. Yes, these characters remain obscured. I don't know why, because I feel like the movie tells us pretty early who they are in in modern day. I think it's because you can't de-age the actors and they didn't want to replace them. That's why I'm asking if that was really Morgan Freeman's voice is because they're using the voices, but not showing us these people who are way too old for this. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think they never get out of their suits. And yeah, they are there dealing with this doctor there who takes them to see the bodies and he's like oh there's no danger it's not airborne and yet how are they getting infected and when you still wear a mask i mean like yeah the people are very casual here and i know rural africa their access to supplies are minimal but it's strange to see a doctor in full lab coat and everything being like yep i'm not going to cover my face It is a shock. Again, I told you I was watching this with Marjorie and she's like, the government would really do this. And I'm like, drop supplies? Because that's what I thought was happening. And she's like, no. (laughs) And then there came a bomb. I'm like, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's the ultimate pull the rug trick. The sick guys are running out and holding up their hands. Yay, everything's coming. It's comical. I've got to say this movie treads a line where I feel like many times they're trying for irony and tension, and I find myself laughing aloud. I hope that doesn't offend anyone, but I feel like this movie is super funny. Okay, you and I are going to be on opposite sides of the table on this one. (laughs) I'm like, this scene is a little too real for me. I actually believe it. Yeah, there, there are scenes that feel very real, but it's because they kind of mirror what we're all going through right now. And so I'm like, oh, maybe I'm feeling kinder towards this movie because I'm living some of this stuff right now, but it's going to go in some wild places by the end. And this is just foreshadowing the dropping of this bomb in Zaire. Oh, yeah. It, where it goes is ridiculous, but I'm with this movie for the first two thirds, including this opening scene. I am not laughing. I'm with it for about the first half hour, and then it starts getting weird. I would say even this opening scene feels very hokey. Again, this is the Vietnam War. Why are why is this happening? It's just, it's so clumsy, but I get they want to have the idea that there was an outbreak so many years ago, and they think they've handled the problem. You melt all the people here, there will be no more outbreak, and that remains true until we hit 1995, and suddenly... It's not really clear why one of the African tribesmen comes out of the jungle, sick, 
drinks from a well, and we have a new village infected with something that looks a whole lot like Mataba 1. Well, it's not really clear why it happened the first time either. It's kind of short-sighted from any scientific perspective to think if you kill everyone, you're getting rid of it. Where did it originate from? I think you need to know the origins of it to know that you've effectively destroyed it. So I'm surprised that it took 30 years to show back up. Yeah, because it's going to come about because a monkey will scratch you or spit on you or something like monkey hasn't spit on anyone in 30 years. Ebola, just so you know, it was a bat cave. That was where kind of the first cases we, we saw the jump to humans were that people went wandering into caves and maybe they put their hand in some guano or who knows exactly what they did. But by interacting with specific caves in Africa, they wound up getting Ebola. And this is like super Ebola. Like if Ebola Zaire is 90% mortality rate, this is going to be 100. Yeah, 100% kills you in what, 48 hours, which I I think is interesting because they're like, oh, yeah, that that makes it super containable because it just kills you so fast. It doesn't have a chance to spread. Well, yeah, I mean, keep in mind with Corona, you have two weeks where you could be asymptomatic and contaminating everyone around you here. You have less than 24 hours before you start melting. So that is actually a good thing in a way. No, I I like how they're looking at the bright side. Yeah, maybe they didn't need to drop a bomb for a rural village where everyone walks and the next nearest civilization is 50 miles away. The problem takes care of itself, right? Well, for reasons, they know about a new outbreak And the very man that, uh, well, he didn't agree to drop the bomb. That was Donald Sutherland. But he certainly was complicit in disposing of these people is now sending people to study it. He got a promotion for it. They contained the outbreak. But yeah, that is now Morgan Freeman, boss of Dustin Hoffman, who, again, I was following his career. I thought of him as a big star. I mean, I mentioned it started with Rain Man, but I mean, I'd seen Tootsie and Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, The Graduate? Yeah, by this point, I had seen The Graduate. Yes, I saw it when I graduated. So yes, I would have seen that one. But I'm talking about growing up my impression of him. I knew his history. I knew he had done stuff, but I was a fan of his current stuff. So to see him as the star of an action movie did not seem strange to me. Now I'm like, wait, that is odd. Yeah, no, it's very strange. (laughs) Yeah, he gives it credibility. I still think that we think of him as the dramatic, atypical star of the 70s paranoid films, you know, All the President's Men and Marathon Man. And so he's done action before, but they always had a little bit more... I don't know if they were realistic. They they were more adult. They weren't so quick to have explosions and play to the summer box office mentality that Outbreak is so eager to do here. I, I wouldn't have guessed that Dustin Hoffman would agree to sign on to a film quite like this. But then again, maybe he didn't know. Maybe this movie in its rush production, he didn't have final script approval. He signed on thinking it's going to be like this nonfiction book. And then, yeah, found out he's going to need to go to the gym and like <laughs> jump onto boats and chase monkeys around. It's, it's a strange part. I had read that they were looking at action stars for this originally, and then they decided to go a different way and try to add more gravitas. But Arnold was bandied about to star in this film. (laughs) And it's very rare that I can ever think, Arnold or Dustin Hoffman, which way do we go? (laughs) 
<laughs> that is, wow, what a fork in the road. And I'm not sure. In some ways, Arnold makes more sense to what we're actually going to get. I think you can laugh at an Arnold movie, and Dustin Hoffman typically doesn't make junk, but... Well, he did hook. Yeah, different kind of junk. Ishtar? I hear that was funny. I never managed to see it, but I actually, there's a whole movement now about revisit Ishtar. It's actually a good film. But yeah, here, you know, you can invite Scorsese's cinematographer to the party, but uh, not everyone can be Scorsese. They got Michael Bauhaus, who, of course, had that incredible long take where the camera, like, in one shot went into the Copacabana Club and Goodfellas, and everyone was amazed. How did they stage it? This movie will be a series of single-take with CGI fakery that tries to keep things going. We don't want to be bogged down with science. So when we get to this lab, it's all about how we can go spinning around level one, biosafety level two, and so on. And really dumb it down would be the way that I would say it, or at the very least, make it really exciting. Yeah, you, you call out these different levels. There's four of them. And I go back to Andromeda's train with your four different levels, which are different floors here. It just seems like they're four rooms next to each other. It's like very fast moving. Yeah, they're sweet mates. That's stupid. And I'm really paying attention thinking of Andromeda strain. I'm like, okay, level one, not contagious. Level two, level three, level four. And I'm pausing the movie because it's just starting. I'm writing all this down thinking it's going to be super important because they have all these subtitles at the beginning of the movie or all this pop-up text explaining it to you. It never matters. It matters only in the sense that it's hyping. Like, oh, if you thought HIV was bad, that's only a level three. Like, we're now moving on beyond that. And again, they study Ebola here, but what they're going to study next, even more Ebola than Ebola. Again, it's just, it's a lot of hype and hoot nanny. And you mentioned Kramer versus Kramer. Is this a parody? Is what they're doing here between Rene Russo and Dustin Hoffman a joke version of, like, we got to fight over the kid in Kramer versus Kramer? Listen, I think if I ever divorced from Marjorie, we would have a fight over our dogs. So I actually went with this. Here's the thing. I We talked about Andromeda strain. Again, going back to that, they could have humanized all those scientists a little bit more. And and here, I guess they're attempting that, hey, we'll, we'll make them have real people problems fighting over the dogs and photographs. It just comes off as very silly. It's the dialogue. I mean, this is some Top Gun dialogue shit of like, who can buy anything coming out of anyone's face? It doesn't sound like adults wrote this. It sounds like action guys wrote this. They do sound like Arnold lines and cute one-liners and quips just seem odd coming out of Dustin Hoffman when he's supposed to be a scientist at that. It's just, again, dumbed down beyond belief and not relatable. I actually feel like uh, who's ever met any couple like this? I was the one, most of all, pushing for drama and tension between the scientists in Andromeda Strain. But I don't think it's believable, I don't think I like it, that they're recently divorced. I mean, that is really far-fetched that the person who's just promoted to head of virology of the CDC was married recently to the head of virology from the military. Couldn't they have had a previous professional rivalry, some romantic tension maybe as this goes on? But the whole, it's my recent ex-wife thing, it stretches a lot of my patience. 
I think it's a way of bringing two different factions onto the table. Like if, it, if one side it comes from the U.S. Army and the other side is the CDC, and what that gets you, I don't really know. Do our government uh, institutions fight this way? Well, I think we've we've seen some blaming between the WHO and CDC. I do think that yes, people can say your fault, no, your fault. But uh, the fact that they're aligned with different institutions doesn't really seem to matter to the plot that's going to unfold. Neither one. Of them is responsible for why this super Ebola gets to America. And if just to discuss their relationship when the virus comes, I find it really insulting that Dustin Hoffman as the husband just takes control. I mean, he is equal in rank, basically, to Rene Russo's character here, and she defers to him 100%. He's the star, he's in charge. I'm like, is it because he's the man? I, I think the CDC, there should have been, again, more friction between jurisdiction. Especially what I could tell from Sam's character. He's kind of a chicken little. Like, he called one virus outbreak right decades ago and then has asked for, like, more shutdowns and nothing ever happened from him. So Morgan Freeman's character is going to have a hard time taking him seriously. But yet, his ex-wife, like, when when it comes down to it, she's going to run with whatever he says. I can say, honestly, I never remember anything in my lunchbox ever being put in there about a viral outbreak. Like, that wasn't a thing when we were school kids. But the line <laughs> that said is that Dustin Hoffman saw an outbreak in Africa and put a note in every school kid's lunchbox in America that it was coming there, and then it didn't. So, yeah, he, he overreacts, and nobody really wants to listen to him. So why send him? Why does the man that was willing to annihilate all of those people back in 67 want this guy you know he's not going to give it up you know he's going to insist on getting to the bottom of everything why wouldn't you send a patsy instead of sending the alarmist because you want it contained and he's the best that's what we're supposed to get from all of this he's the best there is Okay. I think everyone should have been on the same team. I think it would be helpful if Rene Russo was, all right, you can have your divorce storyline. They are breaking up, kind of like the abyss, but we got to do this one thing first. And so let's get it over with. Let's go there. And this is our last mission together. And we can hash it out in the huts. There should be more there. But yes, instead, we're just introduced to Rene Russo so that we can literally leave the dogs with her and send the man off to Zaire to encounter a very similar tribe, but not have the same result, not bomb this one. And we do get a couple more of our start. This has got a big cast. Like, this is a big ensemble cast. Kevin Spacey and Kubigan Jr. enter the scene. They're part of this team that go to Zaire. Yeah, I think it's a disaster movie trope that you try to include different factions. Plus, Hollywood movies, they're expensive. You want to appeal to different demographics. I think Kevin Spacey is the stand-in for, like, the funny gay guy. And Cuba Gooding Jr. brings in the black audience because he just was coming off Boys in the Hood. Yeah, I was trying to figure out Kevin Spacey. I mean, what did he do to deserve an and Kevin Spacey in this movie? Good agent. I had seen him in stuff at the time, but I really feel like it was this year where he did this in Seven and then Usual Suspect 
that broke him big. Yeah, no, those movies hadn't come out yet. So, no. Again, they're just promoting different... This cast is way too big. They could just have Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo. But again, this is a nerdy movie about viral outbreaks and things that are unpleasant that you know popcorn audiences may not want to see. So, let's get the stars that they like and let's just try to cast a big net so that we have too large a cast of characters shoehorned into this plot. Kevin Spacey's the funny guy, right? He's going to be the one throwing vials and oops, oh, that's not really Mataba. And aren't I funny because I can make a joke about your nose or your ex-wife or whatever. He never feels integrated into the story either. He does feel like he's a sacrificial lamb here because we want to kill someone on the team and it's down to him or Kuba, right? Yeah, well, the, I mean, yeah, you either kill the black guy or the gay guy, and I, I and I think there was some pressure with AIDS raging at that time. You want to do, you want to acknowledge what viruses have done to the gay community, so you you give it to Kevin Spacey. Was it known that he was gay then? I, he reads as very gay to me, and always has. Yeah, watching it now, I know about his sexual identity now, and and he's just someone I don't want to be around, and so that's how I read him the whole time. Yeah, I I agree. He's Fatty Arbuckle. His scandals follow him everywhere, and we can't think of him as funny, even though that's his intention. And yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. is the new guy. Like, he's, again, he would have just been new to the scene, Boys in the Hood. He had just gotten out of high school in people's minds. And so here he is playing a character that's got to prove himself. And when he walks into this village and sees the devastation, he's vomiting so hard that he rips his isolation suit helmet off. Yeah, but it's not airborne. So let's all take our helmets off. That is crazy. (laughs) Like, you would never do this. No, but you know what? There is something about the isolation suit that is just not cinematic. Like, people don't look cool in it. And you don't want to have a whole movie where people are wearing beekeeper uniforms. I get that. That's why every Batman movie batman takes his mask off while he's fighting crime oh every superhero movie period but yeah (laughs) and i understand that dustin hoffman refused to wear the military hat that you know in his rank he should have been wearing a hat the whole movie he's like it doesn't look good on me nope not doing it yeah i think again you know this movie's maddening because like in all of these circumstances definitely later when they isolate the small town everyone would be completely having the protective covering like there's you would never see a face or hands or anything but they just they paid a lot of money for these faces and they're not going to cover them up so whenever they can establish that they don't need it gone are the isolation suits and we're looking at these actors i don't know really what we get else out of zaire they take some blood samples back to their lab and they kind of leave Africa behind. They don't bring the virus back with them accidentally. You would think that they would make it that the outbreak was caused by someone on this team, that someone got infected and brought it back. The fact that it's going to be a random monkey that lived near this village and just happened to be caught by somebody from Korea on a boat, I mean, I don't get it. Yeah, I would have thought that somehow the outbreak in Zaire would have led to that monkey being transported or something. It is just wild coincidence that there's a smuggled, diseased monkey and an outbreak happening literally the same day. Yeah, you could almost make the argument that Ford should have dropped the bomb again. Again, if the point is that you worry that some life form is going to get out of this village, then yeah, I guess you take the attitude. I think what Ford can't be sure of is, is it the same thing? 
it sounds like the same thing, and we need these people to take the samples so that he'll li- he'll just literally walk into the lab, sneak in when no one's looking, and compare the slides side by side and go, yep, it's the same thing. But I don't know why they don't make the decision to wipe that village off the map again. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. My only thought would be the chain of command is tighter now versus in Vietnam, where a lot of soldiers did things they shouldn't do. And I got to ask, again, Stuart, you you might have some insight into this because of your dad's occupation. Like there are, and it will happen throughout this film, like reports of, oh, this kind of case and the CDC get like, that is a real thing. Like there's maybe that's the World Health Organization's job, like to collect just random data of viral outbreaks around the world and try to see if it's a big thing or not. Oh yeah. My dad's first job was to literally just go around and talk to people and just literally follow the chain, like see who they had sex with and then go meet those people. And you just, I mean, it's kind of personal, but yes, you, you literally interview people and you create a private document in which you can kind of follow outbreaks. And that was his role in it. The other bureaucracies, some are more uh, concerned with getting vaccines out or actually do, being the health front to get ahead of it. His was more data collection. And we again see that with Corona, when we had our early cases, and even to the point of this recording, if somebody has it, the instant thing they're doing is tracing to see who did you have contact with. And that's the hope if we get higher testing, is that we're at least able to isolate those who had contact with a person who is infected. So no, this also felt really real to me. Yeah, but I'm guessing they use more sophisticated charting equipment than hand drawings like we'll see in this one when they're trying to track down everyone Patrick Dempsey came into contact with. Excel was a few years off. Yeah, it was a a, a weird time in technology. We didn't really even have mobile phones yet. And yeah, you can just feel that like there's still a whole lot about this that, yeah, nowadays, yeah, you can do contact tracing even with our phones. They're saying we can get apps and nobody needs to go ask anybody anything. We can just follow that data collection and, and see where everyone was and when they came in contact with everyone. Yeah, here it's still more of a foot chase. And so that part of it, one of the few parts of this movie actually felt realistic. But again, we leave Africa so quickly, they never go to try and find the origin of the virus. We'll never, by the end of this movie, know where it came from. Seems like a huge mistake. Yeah, I mean, we know where it came to this country from, but we don't know anything beyond that. And yeah, Patrick Dempsey. When did he become a bad boy? I only know him from Camp By Me Love, where he's a nerd, but he's a bad boy in this movie. Yeah, Patrick Dempsey, to me, always was a nerd, because, I mean, you, you Camp By Me Love is the epitome, but the stuff I remember seeing from around this time, you guys may not even remember these movies, but Loverboy? Yeah. Nope. Where he was a pizza delivery man who had a lot of sex, I mean, but he was a nerdy pizza delivery man. Or Happy Together, where he was a nerdy college student who ended up rooming with Helen Slater. I mean, he was always a nerdy person. So when he showed up in Scream 3, I was like, he's not a nerd? And then when he was started being called McDreamy, I thought that the world had turned upside down. I did not remember him as what, a 90s punk greaser in this? Is that a thing? I don't think that was a thing in the 90s. I think <laughs> that, you know what, Betsy the Monkey is right to spit on him when he's playing this way out of date heavy metal music. But the idea is, okay, let's go with this. I haven't seen Tiger King, but yes, there are colorful people who collect animals and sell them to pet stores or or collectors that, that really want such a thing. And so he works at a place where... 
they're always bringing in animals from other places. Yeah, some kind of lab, but it's not associated with the military or the CDC. Wait a sec, where does he work? Because he lives in Boston. (laughs) It's quite a commute. He (laughs) comes from, did he go to Africa to get the monkey? Or did he just bribe somebody? No, he got it from the lab. Okay, he bribed somebody at the shipping house to give him a monkey? I think that he has a deal with this Korean smuggler who uh, is on this boat and we see him. We know he's in trouble because anytime anyone's playing with the monkey, you're just like, "Uh oh, that's bad. He's feeding it a banana and the monkey is like touching his hand and grabbing the banana out of his hand. So we know he's going to be an infection point. And then we have Jimbo and he's yeah paying the security guard to look the other way. Don't look in my back seat. And I'm driving up the coast. He's in San Jose. And then I don't know how far is this fictional Cedar Creek. I'm imagining this is just a fake small town, but somewhere up in the Redwoods, a couple of hours away, there's a pet store that will buy rare monkeys from Africa. Because that is a booming business. I, you know, a lot of people in small towns go in to buy a random monkey. I don't know. The, 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 here's the weird thing. Because of coronavirus, I feel like Tiger King blew up on Netflix because we're all stuck at home having to watch something. And like, that's what that's about. Like, people are buying exotic animals just to have in their backyard. So again, another plot point here, which would have seemed silly if we weren't going through these times, I think, but I don't know. I buy it now. So this whole disease is the result of that bitch Cheryl Baskets. <laughs> Not only that, but there was a lot of weird, like, monkey movies. Harvey Keitel did one called, like, Monkey Business. One of the friends played baseball with one, and, like, even Rene Russo had one called Buddy. Like, there was just a lot of monkeys just doing shit in the movie. So like this movie kind of feels half the time like one of those kitty films. Like Dunstan checks in. There you go. There's another one. <laughs> yeah. The monkey doesn't get a whole lot of screen time though, truthfully. A mistake. I feel like they could have really pulled on some heartstrings with a cute monkey on screen a lot. And he is a cute monkey. I would argue almost no one gets a, a lot of screen time because this thing is so scattered and they have to hop all over the place. Like focus is difficult for me. The monkey is as big a star as anybody in this. And yeah, my favorite parts are when we cut back and we see, all right, so Jimbo like is cranking his heavy metal and she's in the back seat spitting water in his mouth. And the pet store owner didn't want it because he he's already got a female or already had a... He didn't want the same sex. Like, I guess he wanted to breed them. So, oh, I just paid a bunch of money to smuggle this thing. I guess I'll just go take it out to the woods to release. Like, there's other people you could sell that to. Not only that, but it scratched him, too. Again, you know, every time the interaction with the monkey and it does something to him. I mean, you can just see all the people lining up for infection points and, and how ba- bad this outbreak could be. The fact that Jimbo has a wife in Boston and takes a flight. Again, there's a kid that almost eats his cookie. Like, this could be really, really big. I thought that kid was so going to eat the cookie. I mean, that's a big suspense moment is you've got this kid eating the cookie. Now, Jimbo looks like a meth head at this point. His eyes are red. He can barely stay awake. I wouldn't think disease. I'd think bad lifestyle if I saw this guy on a plane. But this kid comes and wants to eat the cookie. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to kill a kid in this for sure. But no, the mother comes in at the last second and saves the kid. And again, these have echoes to the true story about like 
one of the first people to be infected with Ebola was like, I know something's bad, so I'm going to hop on an airplane and get to a major city where I can get a doctor to see me. And he's puking up like literally bags of blood the whole flight. Can you imagine being sitting next to that guy? And like, <laughs> it's just the book is so written like an exciting movie that those those scenes pop. You can't imagine them not trying to do it in the ripoff. They, they know what this is supposed to look like. So they're looking at Hot Zone without owning the rights to it and saying, all right, we need to get on an airplane. We need to do the stuff that people are going to know. But th the fact that it happens in Boston ends up being a red herring because despite the fact that he rode with all these people, the only person that I think gets infected is the wife that kisses him when he gets off the plane. Yeah, because they want to make it a big deal when it goes airborne and it has not gone airborne yet. Let me tell you, when I was in college, I had a roommate who told me what I was considering one of the sexiest stories. He was a freshman. He went home for spring break and see his girlfriend. He hadn't seen her all year. And he ended up having the flu. And the girlfriend wanted to have sex. And he's like, listen, I, I have the flu. I'm sick. You, you don't want to get this. And she looked at him and said, infect me. And I'm like, that's hot. That, I mean, that's really, I got that. And then I see this scene with the wife kissing that guy. <laughs> I'm hot. like, no, no, do not kiss him. When blood is pouring out of the eyes, it's not hot. <laughs> Long hair Patrick Dempsey bleeding from the eyes, not hot. I think that's a universal. <laughs> yeah, McDreamy, it's more like McMelty. <laughs> And Renee, this is what brings Renee Russo back into the picture because she gets the tip off. Something's happening here. Flies in. She's the only one that can do the autopsy because everyone else is afraid. But what happened to the dog? She was watching the dogs. <laughs> She's a busy woman. Yeah. <laughs> she put him in a kennel and yeah, Dustin Hoffman's super mad that she went to go check out this infection and put the dogs in a kennel. <laughs> again, the dogs, it, like half this movie again feels like it's Patrick. Do they want kids to see this? Is this some kind of Beethoven sequel? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where they're pitching it. It's rated R because they're in some big fucking shit and they're going to keep saying big fucking shit. Oh, it is R. I, that was my wonder. I actually felt like this could be treading that line to PG-13. They say fuck way too often. Oh, I didn't even, I don't even realize that when, when I hear that word. So yeah, this felt PG-13 to me. It felt like they were trying to widen that audience again. Like, how do we sell this kind of sticky concept? We'll just put a lot of cute things in and make it so that teenagers can come. Yeah, no, this is this is an R. It's not a hard R by any means, but it is an R rating for language and probably for some intensity, you know, intense gore, whatever you want to have here. But yes, Patrick Dempsey and his wife are quickly out of it because they're going to melt in Boston. But we don't see them melting. I guess that's my complaint. I feel like if you're going to go R and you're going to use the shadow of Ebola to inform your silly story, like, let's see that. Let's, let's give people a look at, like, when she cuts it open, what's in there? They cut away. And I just resent this movie for its squeamishness. I felt like it was the anti-Andromeda strain because in Andromeda strain, it turned all of their blood to sand. So it became a solid. And now here it's turning all their organs to liquid. It's like backwards. But we didn't get that shot. Yeah, the G-rated Andromeda strain at least showed us the sand blood. Yeah, it's more gory. It honestly is a more gory. The G film is more gory than this R-rated 1995 movie. And more nudity. Yes. <laughs> In so many ways. But anyway, the, Boston ends up not being a big deal. Nobody else gets it. And so they're in the clear, except, well, 
Cedar Creek is having problems. And again, you guys aren't laughing at like the lab tech that's not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely am. I didn't even like, again, this lab tech is not related. I'm <laughs> like, is he checking blood from Boston? Is that why he's getting infected? This is just random blood they took from the monkey? No, it's the pet store owner got sick. Okay, so he's checking the pet store owner. All right. Yeah, so they're t- doing blood tests on the pet store owner. And this guy's really bad at his job and, you know, probably deserves what he gets. <laughs> To a funny degree. Yeah, I mean, it is hilarious when like he reaches his hand into a spinning machine. Because a he's centrifuge. So dis- he's lucky he didn't lose a finger. No, I know. And then he's like, blah, it's all over him. I mean, it feels like a Jerry Lewis, nutty professor routine. If you know the comedian Eric Andre, he's got some new movie coming out where they do pranks. And in the trailer, he does this with a blender at like a Jamba Juice store and blood shoots all <laughs> over. Like this plays the same way, but it's not supposed to be funny. This I'm actually rolling my eyes at because it's just a horrible business practice and this guy deserves the disease he's going to get. Am I laughing? No, but am I taking it too seriously? No. No. Okay, (laughs) see, the whole time, the monkey spitting in the guy's mouth, the guy falling on the aquariums, all of it, I feel like if this was supposed to be scary, they've missed the mark by a mile. This feels like the scary movie version of Andromeda Strain. This feels like the weigh-ins got a hold of this and said, how can we make Outbreak hilarious? I'm sorry, but if you want to talk scary, though, where the story goes with this guy who put his hand in the centrifuge... The movie theater? Yeah, when he goes to a movie theater and sneezes, and we get to see every particle that comes out of him when he sneezes, and all the people in the movie theater it infects... As of this recording, we're wondering, will movie theaters reopen? When will movie theaters reopen? Will we go to them when they do open? Yeah, I see this. I'm like, keep them fucking closed. I I mean, um, the amount of contagion, it mutates in this guy for reasons unknown. It mutates in this lab tech to be airborne. And he goes to a movie theater and it infects everybody. It scares the shit out of me. To me, yeah, it feels like one of those scenes in a comedy, again, where someone's like stumbling around and just knocking over every single thing possible. Like the way he comes stumbling out of that theater, coughing and like gets on on every kernel of popcorn in the theater. Like everyone's milk duds. (laughs) It's comedic to me. Yes. There's the concept terrifying and yes. absolutely <laughs> relevant yes it's on all of our minds when will they open in theaters and when will we be th- safe to see it and then there's the, the the way that it comes across which again why is everyone here to see what's up doc an old looney tunes <laughs> short like i've never done that in my life and like you can't believe the number of crowds like they're busting down the doors to get to the bugs bunny 2600 people and they're all at this theater they've never seen bugs bunny before and they all need to go right now and of course yeah the sick guy is like doing everything but like you know rubbing up like his tongue against everyone it's just it's funny i mean it shouldn't be funny because it's not funny you're absolutely right this is a horrifying and relevant concept but the way that it comes off makes me go oh okay well at least i haven't lost my sense of humor because this is really dumb i think what happens the reason why it's mutating here is the disease is mixing with his stupid like this character is <laughs> so damn stupid that this virus is going to be like i'm going to be stupid too and so now we have this stupid strain that's uh, got everyone in the movie theater sick see and i'm just the spittle cam has me terrified to the point where when I see him like being told, get in the back of the line 
at concessions. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You guys saw this in a movie theater. Do you remember this scene? Do you remember f- how it made you feel sitting in? A, I mean, because that's kind of meta. Like, I'm in a movie theater, and suddenly I'm going to look at the people around me when they cough and, and think about it. I never got that scared in the movie theater watching this. To me, it was a popcorn flick the whole time. Yeah, I'm the same way as, you know, I was 19 years old and invincible and never thought about getting a disease that would kill me. So yeah, anything good I could say about this film, I think is because we're living through this right now. So there's definitely things that I see in the real world. I'm like, oh, like we'll talk about when they put a town into quarantine. I'm like, okay, I'm back into this film because we're going through this now. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm wondering is like, how much is this stupid movie being helped by the fact that for all of its silliness, for all of its B-movie trappings, it is speaking to something that few other movies that we have out there can right now. Like when Morgan Freeman locks this town down and suddenly you're seeing, yeah, people like walked into those tents that again, like we're all seeing that in Central Park and what have you. It feels straight out of the headlines now. There's Yeah, the big mistake is they didn't tell them to shelter at home. These people are just roaming the streets. They know there's some kind of help, which, uh, again, I want to say this is dumb, but as of this recording this past weekend, people are protesting staying at home and we're, we're going to see some people try to escape the town and like this stuff is going on now. So it's actually not that funny. Yeah, this stuff should be hilarious, but I agree. I find myself reflecting too much on current events like it is like wow huh but again done in a silly way i think that if we didn't have covid19 in our heads watching them be marched into these tents i think we're supposed to think the military is being unreasonable or nazi-like yeah no it's very reasonable they should take further steps no no i'm gonna say that what this seemed to me was like what the protesters feared. Yes. This is the worst case scenario that the real world protesters who are saying you're infringing on our rights by telling us stay at home think we are a step away from the military doing what they do here. And I'm also thinking about the 90s movie The Siege. Remember that Bruce Willis and uh, Denzel? Nope, never saw it. I know what you're talking about though. Yeah, pretty decent as memory serves. But to see this town where they're going through and be like, if you have disease, put something on your door. And it admittedly, it's a smaller community with a greater amount of contagion. So with Corona, we've all been like, who has it? And just looking at the stats by city here, they're able to lock it down and try to isolate the people who have it. But at this point, you just have to assume the entire town has it. Yeah. It, it's hilarious. This there's a, you put a white, flag on your door and the military will come and get you and take you to the hospital. This mother and wife is saying goodbye to her family. It's supposed to be very tearful, but like that whole family has it. The military should be taking that whole family. They're all inside. This is very contagious. They don't know that yet. They don't know that it's airborne. It will be Dustin Hoffman to crack that riddle. We'll get to it in just a second. You see how many white flags are on the doors? Everyone has it in this town. They should have been onto it. It's a town of like, I think they say 2,618. So very, very low numbers. And again, they think by surrounding the perimeter, even if everyone has it, what's the big deal? We have it contained. They don't know that it can blow past their borders. They don't know that they should be wearing protective gear as well. But the other thing to keep in mind is, Morgan Freeman and Donald Sutherland are evil. You know, like they are (laughs) wanting to protect. The line that gets used is they are wanting to protect their knowledge of this virus so much that they are willing to let people die. And I think what what ends up getting told, we see Morgan Freeman walk into a freezer full of E-1101. 
they have sort of a cure or something. The start of a cure, yeah. But at the same time, they it sounds to me like they wanted to get to the idea that our government does bioweapons under the table. They do something to tease it, but I get the sense that part of the reason why we should really judge what the military is doing is because we know they don't care about human lives, and they want to not only see all these people as expendable, but they also want to use this virus to their advantage at some point against enemies of the U.S., yeah, we'll see that, you know, it is shoot to kill. We have some people that try to flee the town and these two trucks and the military runs them. This is hilarious to me. Like, are you supposed to take this seriously? Like, oh my gosh, the military is going to shoot its own citizens to keep this contained. It plays out funny to me when you get this whole chase. I took it very serious because, again, it looked like a couple of the protesters in that truck taking pot shots at a military helicopter, and the military helicopter shoots them like Ed 209 in a boardroom. Shoots the one with all adults, the one with the family, they stop, they get to live. They're not going to kill the kids. They're not stupid enough to fire at a helicopter. And so let's just get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to numbers. People are already doing it. I know I may come off as callous, but we're talking about 2,000 Americans versus the whole rest of the world, right? Like they have maps that say, you know, in 48 hours, it's going to be in all the lower 48 states and we need to just do something now. Clinton is where on this? Like he's, we don't ever see anyone playing Bill Clinton. We see his secretary of state. It may not even be Bill Clinton. No, no. No, his, his picture is up. We can see it in certain offices. Is there, it? Yes, it definitely is. But the, we don't see anyone from his administration. We don't see anyone playing him. We see a secretary of state scream, we've got to have everyone sign on to the idea that we're going to bomb this town. But that's obviously the answer. And the president will have his answer in 20 hours. Which I'm like, if it's going to take 48 hours to be everywhere, that seems really delayed. Like a really bad response to an outbreak that they should be making the decision now. There should be no opportunity for Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo to come to this town because obviously this is the decision that needs to be made. I took it as if it escaped, it would take 48 hours. Not that it is so airborne it's going to fly out of that town. They could leave that town quarantined you know, as long as they can keep them in there and it's not going to spread. But if somebody were to get out of that town, I don't know. M night gets involved, the happening, the wind's going to blow that virus and, and mother nature will kill us all. Yeah, and animals. Again, are they quarantined the squirrels? I mean, like, it just feels like everything can be infected. We don't know if they're carriers. Yeah, well, we just assume if monkeys are, anything else can be. They're not doing a very good job. I wouldn't assume that. And again, no one is wearing masks that's in the military. It's But the point is, they find out it's airborne once Dustin Hoffman gets in there and he's solving medical riddles. This is what I really love about Andromeda Strain. This is where I always want the movies to live, is that we see the scientists use their brain to figure out stuff. Here, it only gets as good as, well, this patient's been in isolation for weeks from a car accident. How could they get it? And then they do that shot of it spiraling up the air duct and going into the other room. This is the best detective work we're going to get. Like, how they find the monkey, how they find, yeah, that it is a monkey here. It, it is hilariously bad. How they find it's a monkey is a problem for me because we get that it's airborne at this point and they're still trying to figure out where it came from and they're tracking it back and they track it to a pet store and they're able to figure out it's a small animal but they don't know what kind and then immediately 
Sam, the Dustin Hoffman character, says, we need to find that chimp. When did he find out it was a chimp? They literally just said they don't know the animal. There is another monkey at the pet store that's sick, so they assume it's a monkey carrying it. Because only monkeys can infect other monkeys. If they had said that other animals are not getting sick, I guess you could make that leap of logic. I didn't hear that, but maybe... Again, that's not my biggest problem here. What I love is eventually they're going to get to the boat and the original the original guy was taking, like, before there was Instagram, he was just taking a bunch of Polaroids <laughs> of me and my monkey, like, eating together, hanging out on the ship together. Yeah, how did that, how did everyone on that boat not die? Like, this thing is so infectious, it's going to wipe out America in 48 hours, but everyone on this, like, again, we've seen real-life studies of cruise ships and naval ships where there's outbreaks. It doesn't stay with with one person. But that's if it's airborne and this is not airborne. So unless somebody's swapping spit with this guy and sharing a cookie. He never shared his bananas with anyone. Come on. He shared it with the monkey and maybe the others were smart enough to be like, I ain't eating after no monkey. I don't buy it. It is strange to me that he is selfieing with a monkey that he literally is smuggling just for profit. It's not like this was his pet yeah. monkey that he decides no. to sell. Yeah. And that the jump of logic is that, oh, that must mean this is the monkey. That's the monkey we're looking for. And thank <laughs> goodness it's visiting a little girl every night that's doing grand drawings of it. In the meantime, Kevin Spacey needs to die because, you know, like we need <laughs> we need one of the major characters to be wiped out. And he's so annoying that, like, we almost don't mind. He's almost not even a major character, too. I can't think of a single useful thing he does in this movie other than die. I, again, you're missing the obvious. He was supposed to have all the one-liners that had the common people rolling in the eyes rolling in the aisles i was rolling in the eyes <laughs> <laughs> okay but as far as this investigation goes he was useless and the only thing he did actually was at one point dustin hoffman's so worried about his divorce and his dogs he's about to enter the level four lab and didn't even check his suit for tears and Kevin Spacey's like, oh, you have a tear, and duct tapes it. And they never check the rest of the suit, but... Yeah, wouldn't you change your suit instead of just duct tape it? Again, this was a major uh, moment in the hot zone. Uh, one of the major characters ended up, she was cooking Thanksgiving dinner, had a nick on her finger, and then had to go into the lab and gets a tear in her suit. And oh my God, knowing that it could actually have gotten all the way inside her body, it was a very scary moment. Uh, not replicated as well here again ends up coming up kind of stupid like uh i don't i don't know what we're supposed to get out of this he lies he covers up the fact that he got the tear in the suit because i guess he doesn't want to deal with it but ultimately his seizure will ultimately cause renee russo to prick herself with the hypo and that's who we really care about like well i think they're on the men's right i are we to get the idea that working on this case is making their divorce not happen? That's how every Hollywood movie is, right? You know, I can't tell if the movie's telling me that or if I'm just assuming it because it is a Hollywood trope. But at no point do I actually see them nice or romantic or reminiscing. Well, her guts are melting at this point. <laughs> I, I don't think it's time for a makeout session. I'm saying even on the way to this point in this, they seem like they work well as colleagues. She takes his orders, but I don't <laughs> see that as a basis for uh, renewing their relationship. Funniest line in the movie, howls of laughter. Dustin Hoffman finally goes and confronts Morgan Freeman, and he's like, my wife is dying. And he's like, 
don't you mean your ex-wife? I'm like, that yes. is hilarious. <laughs> Damn. And, okay. and he uses that. He's like, Sue, you always exaggerate the truth. I'm like, come <laughs> on. All right, my ex-wife is melting. Like, if that makes you feel better. Yeah, that is as flimsy as finding that monkey based on a photograph in a boat. Yeah, yeah. Let's get there because that is the second biggest laugh of all time. All right, somehow they know it's a monkey. What would you do with that information? Of course, you would grab Cuba Gooding Jr., steal a helicopter, <laughs> fly to a local news outlet, and run to the television camera with the photo and say, have you seen this monkey? <laughs> well, the thing is, what we haven't mentioned yet, other than in the plot summary, is in the background, Donald Sutherland is being nefarious. And we see that... Morgan Freeman is reporting to him. And yeah, Sam found out that Morgan Freeman had the cure. And so Sam knows some of their secret that they had encountered Metaba before. And so not wanting to be found out because not only will it kill their careers, they'll probably go to prison for genocide of a town. They're working against him. Ford, Morgan Freeman's character, Ford, has been trying to get Sam off the case, tried to send him to a rote case. Sam came to California anyway, and now they're trying to arrest him while he's trying to get the monkey. That's where Cuba comes in, is they have to sneak off the base because the MPs are going room to room looking for this guy, and Rene Russo has a funny line, oh yeah, tall big guy, you know, the exact opposite of Dustin Hoffman, because they don't even know what they're looking for, and so they have to steal a chopper. And even more strange, like Sam is like telling his wife, you need to leave here by 1800 hours. Like she's infected. Like he really wants her to break through and like go out and infect the world. Like the, it's crazy. But yeah, like he tells his wife, go ahead and break quarantine, go spread the disease. Meanwhile, I'm going to I'm going to photobomb the news. Can you imagine watching the local news and seeing this crazy man saying, have you seen this monkey? Like that would, he's lucky <laughs> the internet didn't really exist yet because that is meme city. That is something, that's a joke that will never die. <laughs> and they have to find this boat. They go to a municipal records department where they get in trouble for cutting lines and pre-internet, they're just lucky that the municipal clerk is like, I have a contact in the Coast Guard. Yeah, because she's having an affair with someone. She knows where the boat is. Yeah, again, this is, well, I think this was the part, Arnie, you referred to. This is the part where, the, where everyone gets off, right? Even if you were kind of with this movie up to this point. Uh -huh. And I admit, it's bad, but like there's, I can always go with a virus movie. I can always kind of go with, but like this is now becoming camp classic, like bad movie night territory. This is really, almost every scene is howlingly ridiculous. The moment Cuba Gooding steals a chopper and runs away with Dustin Hoffman, this movie is beyond the pale of ridiculous. That's when I want Arnold to get to the chopper because it would work so much. At least I'd know what kind of movie I'm in. You're in monkey business because the monkey, <laughs> we've cut back and forth to him. He was just released into the Redwood Forest. Is he going to meet Ewoks? No, he's going to meet No, this, he's going to start the Planet of the Apes. This cute little girl that's like going to call him her imaginary friend and the mom's going to be watching the news, see Dustin Hoffman and go, I have seen that monkey in my kid's <laughs> crayon drawings. Yes. And this girl must be a remarkable artist. She needs to end up working for the police as a sketch artist. If you could tell the 
the monkey. No, they show us the drawing. It's it's not great. Well, the mother can recognize the monkey from the photo and be like, oh, it's not an imaginary monkey. And the fact that they just send the little girl out to get the monkey too, just like, all right, go out there and risk infecting yourself because we need that monkey. Come on, Kuba's there with his tranquilizer gun, like shaking. Like early on, Dustin Hoffman tells him, it's good that you're scared. You need to be scared, but come on. Yeah, at some point, you know, this little girl's about to get bit or scratched or spit on by this thing. Uh, have a steady arm. This is why Hollywood has a bad reputation. Because you bring to it a nonfiction book like Hot Zone, and it's <laughs> full of all kinds of good science, and they go, but yeah, but don't we need to have a chase scene with a little girl, and like, will she get shot with the tranquilizer? It's the ending of Andromeda Strain we all thought was so stupid, blown up to 40 minutes. Yeah. Yes. It's <laughs> absolutely, it will just not end and every scene is worse than the next it's just amazing what a different movie we're in because i enjoyed the lab science i enjoyed the research and the tracking of where it went and the fact that it went airborne i enjoyed kuba gooding working with that and seeing that what martin had the e1101 cured that monkey but it only cured strain one i'm liking all of this the moment donald sutherland decides he's going to be capital e evil and try to bomb a town and kill dustin hoffman is where this is just it, it loses everything it's amazing it's the same movie yeah we don't need chopper fighting this is not top gun you don't need to go there hollywood just has this anxiety that if you don't put a chase scene in then somehow <laughs> people will be bored and they're lost and they won't connect and it's like no these chase scenes are what's ruining your movie you have ebola you can sit with that and eat out on that every night because it's super fucking scary. You don't need to do all of this other drama about the military. Like, making the military the bad guy was probably the worst creative decision of a series of bad decisions. Yeah, I mean, I like the instinct of let's have a human villain here. Let's have somebody working against them. Yeah, Jack Palance. You need an antagonist that is not an invisible germ, you know? But they went too far with it, with the level of evilness and cover-ups. And the biological warfare is completely believable. But trying to shoot down a friendly military chopper in U.S. airspace is completely ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I could have almost gone with, okay, we're going to steal a chopper so we could go find out who's carrying this disease, where it started from. But the fact that they're going to, like, fake a crash landing by shooting some missiles, <laughs> and there is a full-on chase. Like, I'm waiting for them to invert, like, in Top Gun and flip off Donald <laughs> Sutherland. Like, it feels like that could happen in this movie. It is that movie's, the mentality. I mean, that's what they are aiming for. They feel like it's the same audience as Top Gun. And how sad, how sad for all of the research and, and all of the good science that was informing the movie they were trying to make, that they're like, yeah, in the end, we just got to have a dumb action movie because that's what people like. And I just feel like there have been movies to prove that wrong. We're going to talk about one. I think we're building up to the best viral outbreak movie there ever was, but we got to wait a couple weeks. It can be popular and done well and made for adults, and you don't have to have all this monkey business, quite literal monkey business. You know, I think it makes scientists look cool. Maybe this will encourage no. kids to get a science degree. 
<laughs> no, it does. That's the. It's the opposite. It makes it look foolish and stupid. It, you might as well have Arnold Schwarzenegger as your molecular biologist. Like it's just not anything that looks like science. Right, but it might fool kids into getting degrees. It's not cool. It's also just not a good chase scene. Can we agree that these are not yeah. exciting? <laughs> that I don't care whether they get back or not. That I kind of want everyone to to drop dead and bleed from the face because it just the pain they've caused me is too terrible. This is not an effects movie. It's not an effects driven movie and that shows every time they try an effect. Then don't put a helicopter chase in it. Because the worst is Dustin Hoffman on a soundstage pretending to jump onto a boat but uh, <laughs> all of this helicopter stuff with them is Starsky and Hutch level bad rear projection. And I'm just gonna say I've always kind of had this problem with this director Wolfgang Peterson but he had a long career people let him do this all the time and i never liked any of his movies perfect storm the poseidon adventure remake people even liked uh in the line of fire i always thought that movie wasn't very credible i didn't see air force one but i hear air force one people like (laughs) i looked up this director and i was shocked that i'd seen most of his american films i mean he's done a lot of foreign films but never ending story i liked Enemy Mine I liked, Shattered I liked. You don't like them now. I haven't seen them in years. I, I haven't seen yeah. Enemy Mine since uh, like 04. Um, I liked it in 04. I liked it in 85 when it came out. <laughs> I mean, In the Line of Fire I liked back then, Outbreak, Air Force One is probably his crowning jewel, The Perfect Storm I even liked. That's a terrible film. Again, these they're so stupid. And they, they all suffer from this logic problem. Well, the problem with The Perfect Storm is I liked it when I thought it was a true story. Then I got home and found out it was a completely fictional story based on real events, and I felt cheated. But in theaters watching it, I liked it. But I think the, the man had like one hit. It was Das Boot. People dined out on that film for decades. And I think it's a language problem. I think that he just doesn't pay attention. Like now that he's not making films in German, like the dialogue, just whatever. And this is how Americans like to hear dialogue in their movies. So I'm not going to have good writing. And you just have this just again, I don't think it's Ebola that's making my ears bleed. I think it's this <laughs> awful, awful writing. Yeah, it feels like very Roland Emmerich to me. <laughs> like yes. They do very similar films. Yes. It is reminding me of like the day after tomorrow in that level of the earth is ending and we have to do a chase. Yeah, a, a disaster film. Uh, the, the classic Irwin Allen. I mean, those can be kind of fun if we're encouraged to laugh. But again, this guy, we're expected to take this seriously. Come on. And the fact that he's just going to plead with the bombers, don't bomb the town. Don't follow orders. Now, admittedly, He's kind of going with Nazi Germany. Don't be those people who just follow orders, you know, because the Nazis always say we were just following orders. But at a certain point, it's the president who said bomb this town. It wasn't Donald Sutherland who said bomb this town. He didn't know the facts. That gets clarified. Dustin Hoffman has a very long speech where he didn't know the facts because we have a cure. You know, the point is Dustin Hoffman runs back and takes the monkey blood and throws it in the E-1101 and suddenly they can now fix the problem. I love how fast that is. We're told it's 18 months before Corona. It's 18 minutes for this. And here's the thing. We just reviewed recently Dr. Strangelove, where you have all these protocols. If you want to call those planes back, you got to have a secret code. Like I am on the military side during this ending. I'm like, no, I don't want someone to be able to hack into the radio system and just talk someone out of a mission that's been authorized by all the higher ups. Like this is crazy that you, you would just give up because someone on their ham radio told you, hey, 
we, we really do have a vaccine down here. We can't prove it, but <laughs> don't drop that bomb. I guess my libertarian instincts clash with you, Jacob, because I want somebody to be able to tell people don't bomb friendlies on local soil. Incinerate Cinder Creek and you incinerate a big piece of the American soul. I mean, that line right there. I'm like, where are you so I can drop the bomb on your face? <laughs> the screenwriter? Yeah, I mean, it is really bad here, and I'm clock-watching at the end. Is it worse than Andromeda Strain? I can't say so. Yes, because it's 40 minutes long of silliness instead of five minutes. Yeah, I mean, come on, yeah. And even at Andromeda Strain's worst, okay, it had, like, a silly set that, like, we're supposed to believe. this. It had l- a laser beam. Yeah, I, a little silly, but I at least understood why it had a self-destruct feature. But I didn't understand why it had lasers to shoot animals. Well, one detail, if this movie had only one logic problem, I probably wouldn't even bring it up. This is just... What about this feels true at this point? What about this threat and what we've just seen feels any different from a Van Damme or Seagal movie? It doesn't have any credibility as something that could happen in real life. And we're living in these times. I feel like for the first three quarters of the movie, until Dustin Hoffman steals a helicopter, I feel like everything is completely believable. I feel like there's moments of believability in a lot of silliness. But they drop the bomb over the ocean and... Morgan Freeman finally grows a pair. I don't think he was ever on board with what happened in Zaire in the 60s. He finally grows a pair and has one of the men arrest Donald Sutherland. And Because that was what this movie was about, like curtailing Sutherland. Just whatever. Have we ever arrested Kissinger for firebombing Cambodia? Like, we've done all this kind of stuff. I don't even feel like this is a crime they'd go after Sutherland for. Well, trying to shoot down the chopper with... Cuba and Dustin Hoffman is probably... They were criminals! Like, they stole a chopper. I I feel like he's going to get off in the trial. (laughs) Maybe so, but he might have to retire with honors. But will Sam get back with Roberta? That's the question we're we're left with now that he... Again, he, like, took off his... He's really confident in this cure. Like, we haven't had one subject recover, and he's, like, ripping off his helmet and giving her a kiss. He's the lead virologist. He knows. Mm. But yeah, she and it's an instant cure, too. There's not like two weeks of recovery. It's just instant. Oh, I'm better. Yeah, it's a Hollywood ending. It's a Hollywood film. It sure is. But how do you guys feel about this Hollywood virus? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend this outbreak? Jacob? Like I said earlier, I I think a lot of the things I found interesting is because we're living through it right now. Like, movie theaters are a scary thing right now, but this film takes it to a very silly place the way they play it out. And quarantining people and telling them to stay at home and you you can't travel, like, that's a very real thing right now. And then they kind of go to this silly place with a helicopter blowing up a truck of people trying to escape. Like, I feel like that is this movie in a nutshell. Like, here's a very real scary thing, and then we're going to go to the most ridiculous blockbuster Hollywood thing. And and again, blockbuster Hollywood's not necessarily bad, but the scary things they don't focus on, like being paranoid with those around you who has this virus that you can't see. I mean, this movie starts off with this quote, you know, about viruses uh, being the biggest threat to human dominance. Like you think of this microscopic thing and that's what's going to take us down. But it doesn't want to do anything with a very scary premise that is based in real life. And it goes in such ridiculous places. Yeah, you should have thrown Arnold in here instead of Hoffman because Dustin Hoffman, you know, outside of a pirate wig like in Hook, I'm going to take him seriously and I can't take this film seriously. So I, I think any relevance that you'll find in this is because we're living through these times right now. So that made me actually 
play around with the recommend for this, but it's too damn silly for me. It's a red arrow, not recommend. Stuart. Yeah, it actually breaks my heart that people are turning to this, that in times of COVID, they're saying, okay, this movie has something that speaks to our moment. And then they get this Zucker Brothers comedy that is like a a disaster movie parody. Like it doesn't have anything to say about viruses whatsoever. It's making hash of that. What we should be afraid of are helicopter chases and evil military people that are going to drop bombs on common man. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating that up to this point, we haven't had a really great movie about viruses, a subject I really care about. And yeah, casting Dustin Hoffman in Arnold Schwarzenegger parts is worse than Satan Bug. I'm actually going to say this is the worst film in the series so far. It's so wrongheaded, wrong actor, wrong hero, wrong movie. My advice, drop that bomb and incinerate Outbreak. It's going to take a big piece of your soul. I did not see the movie you did, Stuart, but I definitely saw the movie Jacob saw because throughout the first two-thirds, three-quarters of this movie, the first 60 to 90 minutes, I'm seeing reality, hyper-reality, you know, surreality, but I'm seeing the COVID crisis play out on screen, especially once it becomes airborne. I'm seeing some hammy performances, but... I like the fact that we have a CDC guy as the hero, a smart hero in a Hollywood film, a scientist, you know, it's, it's something Arnold couldn't believably play and Dustin Hoffman could. And I think Dustin Hoffman's doing a pretty decent job. I mean, we talked about who's in this cast. We haven't discussed their performances, but they're all pretty solid. Morgan Freeman's doing what Morgan Freeman does. Dustin Hoffman, other than the deep fucking shit type speech, he's pulling it off until they steal the helicopter. But I believe him as the virologist and I believe him as the divorced man. I, I'm confused by that. What Name a scene where he really nails it. Name like one moment where, wow, he was really good. Two scenes, both with Morgan Freeman. The first is at Morgan Freeman's party where he's like, let's put out an alert and really emphatic about it, but chagrined about the times he's cried wolf. And then the other time is in... Morgan Freeman's office where he's like, I want to go investigate to see if we have Metaba in the States in Boston and you're sending me off to some really boring thing. Why are you doing that? Those two scenes, I was really with the character. I don't feel like he deserves a statue. I don't believe he was stretching terribly, but I think he was good in the role, as was Morgan Freeman. Donald Sutherland was a little silly in his wickedness, but that's why you cast Donald Sutherland. I thought Cuba Gooding Jr. was very good as the novice military guy who's getting into virology. And Renee Russo, I thought she carried herself very well with authority in this film. I liked this cast, and I liked what they were investigating, and I was scared of Mutaba. And I was scared of our government, because we are right now walking a fine line. Our as of this recording today, our attorney general said that they can't guarantee that what's going on with stay-at-home orders isn't violating the Constitution. And we have people taking to the streets to protest that. This is where, Jacob, you and I differ. Because you say you find it ridiculous when the military is shooting people for trying to leave town. I find that all too possible. So I'm not laughing at that point in the movie. I'm frightened at that point in the movie. Come on, you got to turn off the Alex Jones. 
shit happens with our government. You can't trust big government. You can't trust stupid people that are going to go and spread this either. No, no. There's stupid people on both sides, if I may paraphrase. But, as I've mentioned, the moment it decides to turn into a full-fledged action film, with stupidity after stupidity, Kevin Spacey rips his suit. Oops, I'm not going to tell anyone. I got the willies. And then Renee Russo, who had been so competent, slips and pokes herself with a hypodermic needle. I have worked in hospitals. That is a very rare occurrence, and they should be better trained than that, given their job. I mean, he was having a seizure. I mean, that's how they explain it. And nurses and doctors deal with people having seizures every single day, and there's not always a sharps accident. She does say she wasn't as careful as she should have been, which I feel is unfair to her and her character. Everyone in the movie should be saying that. And it turns her into a damsel in distress. She had been a strong female character who becomes a damsel in distress, like Sleeping Beauty dying on the bed for the last part of this movie. So it really falls to deep fucking shit. So is it a recommend or is it not? I'm going to eke it over to the side of weak recommend because I really feel the first two thirds of it speak to our time. Wow. A recommend for this movie. Yes. Wow. I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I, I would watch any of them. Satan Bug has more to say about our time than this movie. This movie is ridiculous. I think it actually really hit home with me in many different ways. You didn't like it back in the 90s. I think that's interesting. I can't remember if I liked it or not. I was thinking of Sphere and Congo. Okay. Well, again, there was there was a lot to not like about all of it. And again, <laughs> this movie has the tropes of a 90s action movie. Again, if they made a movie about teachers, it's Dangerous Minds and she's a Marine and, you know, beating people into their education it just had a hyper sense of how to engage with the subject matter. And so, yeah, if they were going to make a virus movie, they were going to make this souped up, ridiculous, helium-filled nonsense that just aesthetically I don't like. And it sounds like I think we always wind up on different sides of that line where you're like, I like hyper-realism, I like Hollywood speak, and I don't. So I think your tolerance to that is how much bullshit you can take an outbreak. Yeah, and let's be clear. I really had a debate on if this was a recommend or not. I really did. It, it's not a movie I love. It's barely take it, overtake it, or leave it, you know? So let no one think that my endorsement here is a ringing endorsement. It's just I feel like the first two-thirds outweighs the stupid end. Okay. Well, I'm confident we still have a movie in this series that will speak to our times, and uh, we'll get there. I haven't seen the one next week. Ridley Scott is finally going to make his virus thing. He, or at least going to produce it for television. Andromeda Strain 2008. Is it more Ridley or more Tony? They're both doing this one. Yeah, I don't know that either is really that responsible. Again, it's a Michael Crichton book. We've seen it before. Television directors, but who knows? I did think that there were things about the original Andromeda Strain that could definitely be improved by a update. And so... Maybe they've done it. We'll find out next week. In the meantime, this Friday, if you are one of our supporters, we have a different type of serum for you. One that's mixed with a little bit of vodka and rum. And poetry. It's Tom Cruise's 80s hit, number <laughs> one on the Billboard charts, plus made a ton of money in theaters, Cocktail. 
Mm-hmm. Don't worry, be happy. I'm gonna try. Actually, I'm gonna be pretty happy when we discuss this film. It's incredible. It is, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. I, I feel like you guys have two different definitions of incredible there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that was <laughs> I think that was uh, born out in this review itself. <laughs> yes. You can hear all of our Tom Cruise reviews by becoming a Now Playing donor and helping our show out. You can find details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Plus, if you are one of our platinum donors, you're going to get five extra podcasts. That's right. We have taken the votes of all of our $25 and up donors and patrons and the winner by a freaking landslide sleepaway camp. Wow, I'm stunned. Partly because I barely registers with me as a franchise. I think of it as kind of a one-off. I had to dig deep to be like, oh, there's four other ones? Well, I guess we're doing them all. We're doing five. We're going back to camp. I mean, I get the appeal of that. Friday the 13th is a series that kicked off the modern conception of this podcast. And so, yeah, it'll be fun to go back to camp and maybe compare notes with Jason. It's sad. Iron Eagle never stood a chance. It lost so hard. Poor Lou. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still with you, Lou. So you can get that, plus all the Tom Cruise podcasts and Candyman, which we're still doing. Yeah, we can't obviously cover the new movie until it comes, which I'm hearing is end of September, my birthday. But uh, we'll definitely cover the trilogy in June. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for having your organs melt with me. And until next time, we hope all of our listeners are staying healthy and safe. These people are Americans. 2,600 dead or dying Americans. If that bug gets out of there, Billy, 260 million Americans will be dead or dying. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. This conversation is over. We hope you've enjoyed the show. What a wonderful moment this must be for you. Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. The warning will be included in our weekly report, Dr. Keel. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Apparently they all got it at a movie theater. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. We need supplies. Plasma. Penicillin. We'll get you everything you need, Doctor. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. I think these men need some help. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Don't threaten me. Don't threaten my crew. Please. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. 
plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. I'm so scared. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. We have to work together, Sam. Are we? Are we what? Are we working together, sir? You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. And if one of them has got it, then ten of them have got it. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, Billy, then we're in deep fucking shit. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I run this outfit. It's not run by committee. You do what the hell I say do. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Thought if I showed my star around here, it might speed things up for you. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Why don't you try to get a little sleep? Why don't you get some sleep? I slept back in July. Yeah, well, I got work to do. Don't tell me when I need sleep, Casey. I don't tell you when you need sleep. Now playing credits, read by Brock. Colonel, I'm going to suggest that you shut up now before you say something else you're going to be sorry for. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. We wiped out a whole camp to keep this bug secret. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. Which one disobeyed me first? Lewis, it was you, wasn't it? You guys are busted. You look very guilty. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. I don't need evidence, I got a feeling. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Please, get me out of this shithole. Hold on, I think I might have noise in the background. Mom is going to the bathroom. We'll wait. Hopefully, it's a quick one. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Ma, are you shitting or pissing? (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, I'm just making a joke. Don't don't cry. Oh, no. (laughs)